First of all, I should probably do our intro. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 320 Club podcast. Why is it called the 320 Club? <laughs> uh, 420 was already taken, and it's happy hour happening somewhere else. Man, I butchered that thing. I'm your host. <laughs> I, who are you? Well, I'm Whiskey. And I'm Rox. <laughs> oh, my God. So uh, this is going to be part two of, you got written, hashtag, it's a cold day in hell. Okay. It's a part two of a cold day in hell. It's a part two of a cold day in hell. What are we drinking here? We are drinking for my lovely trip to Prince Edward Island. Hey, um, we're doing a Canadian whiskey. I like it. You're all focused on tariffs. This one was tariff-free. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right, cheers, buddy. This is good. What's it called? It's called... I forgot what it's called. It's the Straight Whiskey 40. Straight spelled S-T-R-A-I-T, as in a river runs through it. Ironically... On Prince Edward Island, mm. St. Lawrence. Straight. Very good. It's delicious. I like it. Good yeah. Canadian whiskey. You know, uh, there's a couple of good Canadian whiskeys we're going to have to try while we're doing this. Anyway, to continue our discussion, I have a question for you. Have, have you ever watched Making a Murderer? No. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's on Netflix, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you talked last time about... Um, due process and how it's important. And if you're a victim, you know, you go through due process and you can seek justice. And if you don't seek justice, um, you can, you know, you can go through an appeal system and all that kind of stuff. The way that that show has been outlined, and I get it, it's coming from a biased perspective, but the case that has been gone against him, okay, so um, Avery... Is it Sean Avery? Is the guy okay? Anybody? I don't know how to explain Assume making his name murder. Is Avery, just go one. watch. Just go watch making a murderer. It'll be the best television you've ever seen. It's a documentary that's on Netflix right now. Go watch it. That's all I recommend. Anyway, we did not get any money from Netflix. No, we did not. We're still in my basement. We did not. I love it. It's great. It's all good. Um, so the idea is that um, this person. Uh, is supposedly innocent, allegedly innocent of the crimes that he has been accused and convicted of. Um, and what the show is illustrating is that it's the system, it's actually the government institutions, it's the, it's the judicial process, um, is all stacked up against him. They're, they will do everything in their power to keep this guy in jail. So what? here's the question I have for you and I brought it up before, is government institutions, judicial branches, executive branches, they're all filled by people, and people have different agendas. Now, what happens if you're a victim of a crime, if you're a victim of something, and the judicial process or the the people who work within the judicial branch and the executive branch want to see you put behind bars? And they will do everything in their power. They will use the system and corrupt it to get what they want. Well, life's not perfect. Uh, Listen, every system is to err is human. These are human systems, human construct. To influence it, it takes a lot. It's not something, a small little slip up going on. I'm going to give you 50 bucks and then I'll be done. So, right. But the the problem is that we, in Canada, for example, David Milgard, 30 years in jail, I think he was, um, for murder he didn't commit. Mm hmm. They found his one of his good friends, 
was the actual guy who killed the girl, uh, who was a nurse. He got This a, isn't what that song Wheat Kings is about, is it? I can't I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, Milgard eventually got out. Um, the government paid him restitution because they took away his freedom and they, they paid for it. Right. Because now it's a civil problem, wasn't a criminal problem. It was a problem with the system. It wasn't followed through. There was mishandling from the case. He was then vindicated. Civil course took over. So appeal vindicated him. Civil course took over. They want him some money to compensate him for the, the because they were able to prove that was the government did not do due diligence in his case. And they were found civic, uh, through civil court liable for what happened. So in Canada, he can sue the government. Well, that's exactly what happened with Omar Kadir. He ended up suing the government um, because, so well, a cold, a cold day we, in hell. We, we, well, the Canadian government broke the law, right? So the, the point is, is that I, I think it really needs to be pointed out again. We as citizens have rights, okay? Don't let them take any of them away from you. If, if you think they're taking, away, they're taking rights away from you, fight tooth and nail. Okay. Okay. And, and, if the rights are not, if your rights as citizens are not being looked after, fight tooth and nail. What happens? So when, no, no, but let me, like, my, how my, would, how would you fight? My rant's not, talk to your MPP, you know, strike, like, make your, your, your views known. You can protest, you can advertise on TV, or you can fucking go on Facebook, but aver- do what is right. But isn't that like, um, what do they call it, uh. Um, but make sure you're right. Yeah, make sure you're right for sure. Um, what do they call that? Taking the law into your own hands. If you no, go, taking your if law you into your own hands when you punish someone. Go, go on, go in the media. If no. you go in, because that's how it's construed. Because the power of punishment is retained by the judicial branches of government. Taking the law into your own hand is invoking punishment on someone else, and you do not have the right to do that. No. Like that's like vigilantism, right? Yeah, yeah, I get that. So that's fine. But the, here's the thing: if you are wronged and you can't afford the due process to to seek either restitution or accountability for those who have wronged you, because they got bigger, deeper wallets than you, and they will just they will just outbid you and bide their time, and they won't have to pay a they'll just they'll pay it, but. They'll just wait you out to see if you don't have to see if you uh, see if you can just bail on the thing because you can't afford to do so. Mm-hmm. There's no justice there. That's not that's justice at all. That's, so what do you do? Well, that's, that's your that, recommendation. It's not a system. No, well, what? Do, what it's a but no, I'm, it's a legitimate question. And the question I'm asking you is like, what do you do? Because it sounded like what you're saying there was like. Do you take your matter to the media? Do you go and, like you said, go talk to your MP, go dirty. talk to your MPP? Yeah, okay, that's that seems pretty legit, uh, like a legitimate uh, course of action. But um, most, a lot of people, what they do is they go straight to the media and they say, this is what's happening, this is injustice, and this is wrong. And it's news for like maybe a week or so, but then that's it. And then it just, it's no longer, <coughs> if it's not news in a month, then it's not businesses news. Businesses know those, those complaints don't go away. Businesses know that those complaints don't go away. They don't go away. It's captured in cyberspace. It doesn't go away. One black guy. So I had a falling out with a company um, that was that was working with me, 
and uh, they started attacking me personally. I said, listen, I never, you asked my opinion, I gave you an honest opinion. And because they give me an honest opinion, they start attacking me, attacking me personally. What was the honest opinion? Was you the, could give this, the calls. This the service was not adequate. It wasn't timely like it was supposed to. So uh, you were, were a billing. manager in this case. Yeah. Were, and you decided that their merit wasn't. And I said, I want to cease business from you. And I said, that, and effective this date. And they're like, why? Like I owed them an answer. I said, you don't want to know my opinion because it's going to be be <clears> honest, and you're probably not going to like it. No, I want to hear it. So I gave them my opinion. And because I gave them my opinion, they started attacking me personally. I said, hey, this is the service you're providing. Here's what's happening. Okay, I'm going to list the very, very direct things. No adjectives at all. Right. Okay, but this is what's happening. You're providing facts. They attacked me personally. And to me, that's not on. So, as a, so what I did is I posted a Google review. Well, that just fueled the fire. So then he went second time. You're really low. You're in. You're a, you walk on four legs and you got scales type of. Frickin- you walk on four legs and you've got scales. Oh, so you a lizard person under there? Exactly. I was gonna ask you. I have more questions for you. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> but anyways, the point is, is that the reviews are effective because businesses use reviews to justify their. Uh, Especially now in free information age, reviews are important to businesses. Yeah. Okay. So you see, you see businesses, especially Microsoft, they actually have people go out and look at reviews to try and resolve issues yeah. and fix them. Well, that's a component of the free market, mm-hmm. and that's I, I totally agree with that, and that should be the case. So people do have power. Yeah. Um, and there's lots but of I, different cases going on. So, you, yes, if that's in your budget and that's what you're going to do, you, you can even say, "Listen, if you don't resolve this." I'm going to do this. If you don't resolve this... If you don't resolve my issue, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to post it on 15 different reviews until I get resolution of what I want. Okay. And you would say, like, I work on... So that's not considered by... If if you're in a court proceeding, that's not considered... um, Like, taking the law into your own hands, that's not considered vigilantism. Is it truthful? If it's truthful... It's a kind of protest if you think about it. Yeah. I'm posting a billboard and I'm going to do this. I'm, and I'm a proponent. Exercise free speech. You voted for it. It's your right. Do it. Mm-hmm. But be truthful. Be factual. That is important. And do it with some, a bit of panache. Okay? So it gets A bit noticed. of panache. A little chutzpah. Exactly. So it gets <laughs> noticed. Okay? Because we, we as Canadians... What are you, 50? Get in there. <laughs> We as individuals and as Canadians, we have the right to it, and I don't want to ever see it go away. No, I completely agree with you. But if you don't move it, you lose it. Oh, yeah, totally. That's, if, you don't, a, if you don't use it, you lose it. It'll you be mean. an omnibus bill somewhere. <sighs> In your endo. <laughs> okay, bad joke. Um, okay, here's a question I do have for you. Speaking of uh, you know four legs and scales and all that whatnot... Um, you seem to be kind of in favor, like generally in favor of bureaucratic processes. You see, you be, you're in favor of government institutions. Um, why? Like you, you seem to have a lot more faith and trust in these, in these 
uh, I guess I want to. I guess you call them processes than any other person I've ever met. So why is that? Because here's the thing. Like I'm, I'm gonna provide a little, provide a little background. I like most people. I'd say my age, you know, thirty somethings, are have been indoctrinated through media to distrust. Um, let's call it corporate powers, bureaucratic powers. Like, look at look look at Star Wars. We're a rebellion fighting against an empire. Um, they show bureaucratic institutions in Harry Potter with the Ministry of Magic. There's like all kinds of different examples, like the uh, like an alien, uh, the original Alien movie with uh, Sigourney Weaver and all that stuff. Hey, there's a great uh, there's a great example of like um, feminism in movies, like well done. Like there's a great example. Anyway, I'm, I'm... squirrels. Uh, anyway. Uh, like you, had a, you had a you had a corporation that was sending these like truckers, these space truckers get out back, to do get back on your No table. no no, it's like <laughs> but you you have this corporation that's sending these space truckers out to do different, you know, expeditions and that kind of stuff and they're not getting paid very well. So like there's already a semblance that you're not supposed to trust the Wayland Corporation or you're not supposed to trust uh, I don't know, any one of them. There's a whole bunch of them. So like I'm just saying there's there's all this indoctrination that's happened of um, like millennials and that kind of stuff to mistrust, and then compounded with that, like look what's happened in the last ten years of say the market crash and how uh, the government bailouts that happened in the U.S. Like there's complete distrust in the government because they just completely bailed out these corrupt banks that were betting against all the uh, you know. Uh, anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Anyway, so. Should I ask the question again? <laughs> Just so it's a little bit louder. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> um, how to look at that. Maybe, maybe you need to... So let, let you know about some. So I'm blue collar. Like, uh, I mean, when I, I worked low-end jobs until I was in my early 20s. Um, was homeless in my lifetime. You were um, homeless in your lifetime. Yeah, for about six months, I was homeless. Holy shit. So, like, I, I've worked at work, labor unions. I mean, until I was 27, I didn't, I didn't start my undergrad until I was 27 years old when I could Holy. afford. So Good for you, man. So, I went, really went back to school when I was 27 years old. Um, and even going through my undergrad, I, was, I, was, my his, I had a history class. And he wrote on my paper, you're a Marxist. He called you a Marxist. Because I was so pro the people, it came across in my writing. Interesting. The people could do... You don't do, have to be a Marxist to be pro people. But just the way I write. So, so it sounds like your so, professor was an asshole. <laughs> well, we need to maybe probably put in consideration what changed all that. As I kept reading. So it's it's funny when you, when you look at populism versus... Uh, corporations, bureaucracies versus fluent in, in, in very horizontal, you know, touchy-feely organizations because they do because it feels intrinsically good. Like tech industries? No, no, no you're, just, you're, you're, you're pigeonholing things. <laughs> um, what we need to really understand is is reason why I like bureaucracy uh, bureaucratic organizations because 
primarily they aim to be fair. I, sorry to interrupt you. I just every time you mention horizontal, all I can think about is like, was it the uh, horizontal I, polka? What? No, no, no. The horizontal leadership structures. All I can think about is that uh, one episode of uh, the newsroom. Did you ever watch that show? Yeah, but that's a real thing. Horizontal no. leadership stuff. Oh no, I know. But they were talking about uh, what were they talking? About? It was the Occupy Wall Street movement. It's like we don't really believe in a in a in a you know hierarchical leadership structure. We're more of a horizontal leadership structure, and it's like they had this upspeak crap. I'm just like, okay. And they were like clicking their fingers and all that kind of stuff to like, in order to be heard, you have to like <coughs> click your fingers or, oh, so stupid. I hate that shit. But some of it's grounded in truth and some, some have their places. Nonsense. So if, if I wore a suit to a Green Day concert, I'd look out of place. If I wore... It depends on the suit. If I wore grunge to a classical music concert... It could concert, be ironic. No. If I wore, <laughs> if I, if I wore a tuxedo... To a grunge concert, it'd look out of place. Yeah, that would, grunge, that would look out of place. So if I wore a grunge outfit to a a you know showing of Beethoven's Fifth in a nice concert hall, well, I'd look out of place. The point is, is that hierarchical structures have a purpose, and horizontally structured have a purpose. But I never say, let's just swap them, because horizontal structures are designed to be. Uh, adaptive, they're agile, but the problem is Hierarch- sorry, horizontal structures. Horizontal. Okay, horizontal- I don't even know much about horizontal structures. So let's say let's say I had a horizontal structure. What I'm going to be doing is I'm going to have a production section. I'm going to have a creative section, and I'm going to have you know um, a production development section and a research section. So the problem. I love with- the flamboyant like body language that you're using right now. It's the now. third drink. It's the third drink. It's the third drink. <laughs> the point is, is that these organizations are designed to be more like individual think tanks. They're going to think the way to get a product out there. Their roles aren't necessarily as formalized. So these type of organizations are easy to, they find niches in answering a business that isn't necessarily the same all the time. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> So one day they're making paintings. The next day they're 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 going to be making um, something that's similar but not quite the same. So one day is paintings. Next one could be photographs. Next day is wall art. Okay. Uh, so, so they're agile. They they can go through and they can develop that. The problem is that the cost associated with them is higher because they're not specialized. They're more in the pioneering things. They take a uh, 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 something that's they're out. uber creative. Yeah. So, but they have in those organizations in order to be flat. But they don't have structure. No, they do have a structure. It's called a horizontal structure. Yeah. Okay. But it's okay. like the, there's no substance. There's no, you know. No, it's, no. It's called a horizontal structure. It's, it's like definitely there's hybrid things that could happen. Okay. But they come together to develop that product. But you get a, inherent- to actually, anybody to actually run that thing and maintain a routine or. And develop any any kind of substance that will maintain the longevity of that. It will it won't be able to it won't be able to do that because it won't be yeah, able to be self sustaining. Because as soon as you write the policy, a bureaucratic process, you start losing things. Uh, sorry, you know what? I only do paintings. I don't do wall art. <laughs> I just love how you. <laughs> 
You gotta you gotta talk in up speak whenever you do that. You know so, when people raise their voice at the end of the, everything they say. I'm from the wrong millennium. <laughs> up speak. That has got to be the most annoying way of people like hearing people talk. It's like it's like when people say like all the time. I say it a lot, uh, and my father has criticized me for saying it too much. But if he had to hear somebody talk the way that I'm talking right now, he would I probably he would probably right suck start a nine millimeter. <laughs> Anyways, I think I think the the point becomes. Oh, you freaking lost me! <laughs> the point is these horizontal structures. They don't. They're they're designed. They're they're kind of fat in the sense is. They have a lot of room for creativity because as soon as you tailor master process to one specific thing, they lose inefficiencies or so they become inefficient. Okay. So the, the, when you ask them to build a painting or wall art, they can because there's inside that organization, there's skills and competencies <clears throat> that aren't used all the time. Right. Okay. In a bureaucratic organization, we don't want that. We want people to hi- have highly specialized roles so when they do it, it is the same every time. Yeah, we want when to maintain comes, the output. Yeah, when, when we maintain the output, it's in consistency, color, shape, form. It's perfect every time. And it's fair. That's the key point about bureaucracies. They're typically very fair. Now, isn't there something about like hierarchical structure, like a, like a hierarchy? Yep. Like that's something that occurs in nature. Like, it happens naturally, right? You can draw parallels. Be careful with that one. The, the parallels exist, but they're not... It's not always the same. Like you can't same. You can't say in nature it's always that No, no, no. I wouldn't go there because... Like dominance know, hierarchies, for example. That's one way. And you have maternal... Like, no, no, no. Let's just stay in the world that I understand because... Okay, okay. Nature and <laughs> yeah. the non-dominational thing I, is not something I, I understand All completely. I know is that uh, dominance hierarchy is like as old as, as old as lobsters. It's like older than trees and shit. <laughs> like, anyway. Yeah, but we don't live in a pluralistic society or... or <laughs> Pluralistic society. Well, in, in, when, the, when you're the dominant male in, the, the th- in some packs, you mate with all the females. That's very frowned upon. Actually, um, whether they like according, it, according whether to they the like science, it or not. <laughs> the dominance hierarchy uh, amongst um, like sexual selection is a uh, it's it's mediated by females in uh, in human beings. According to the science, right, listen, I don't want to go there because the first part of this podcast had one had one view of looking at it. And I just want to go with what was written in law. What was it? I, that, that was what I heard. Yeah, it's like the dominance hierarchy is a it's a playing field <coughs> that males compete in, and it's mediated by the females because females choose their choosy maters. They choose who they want to mate with. Yes, idealistically. I think that's exactly what happens, or actually what happens. Anyway. I digress. I don't want to go to Africa or these crazy other things I've read. So, anyways, it's, we're different from chimpanzees, who like the head chimp will meet with all the females. That's how we. That's how we diverted from chimps. I'm so far on my own. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's not exactly my I need comfort damn. zone <laughs> either. I just enjoy talking about it, and I've heard all. This is what I've been listening to for the last like two or three years. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a wee sup. Thank you. So, if we keep talking about mating habits of the chimpanzees, we're pulling out the uh, the straight lightning. 
bureaucracies and uh, further to that. Um, so, anyways, so bureaucracies bureaucracies are interesting because they're highly specialized, highly fair, highly formalized. So, what the job that they're doing is is very specific. And the reason why I like them, I mean, especially when we talk about making things right. Yeah, I think this is where my actual question was. <laughs> I know because you're a tangent tasting his own tail. <laughs> So when we look at how we're doing it, is is a bureaucracy is highly formalized. That means things are written down. Hey guys, um, we're just gonna have to interrupt this episode real quick. We'll be back in 24 hours. 24 hours later happens in like flash of a second, like uh, Wayne's World. It's scaring me. It's scaring me. Down. <laughs> All right. So before we begin. Um, we got a little bit interrupted there. We're actually, we're actually 24 hours later in this part two of this episode. So, uh, you know, real life happens and thing, things got to happen. So we'll, uh, we'll just carry on. Um, what are we drinking? We are drinking the art of, art, uh, the art of whiskey mashing. I, I in, brought, I into the it. microphone, please. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Art of Whiskey Mashing. It's a single malt scotch whiskey distilled at Ball Blair Distillery. Matured for at least 19 years. Um, it's 55.9. And I hand carried it out of uh, the UK. Okay. So, 24 hours later, where were we? <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I actually, something that I'd like to bring up here just a couple of corrections uh and amendments uh, i'm just gonna do this here uh, a couple of corrections and amendments to um the part one there um that i i just wanted to because i listened to it and while i was going through editing and everything i wanted to make sure that we uh had our facts right so the first one was the two academics it's not twos three academics who published the series of those 20, fake, yeah, fake 20, journal entries? No, no, there weren't journal entries. There were journal articles. Well, journal articles to academic journals. Yeah, and there was twenty. They wrote twenty articles. That's right. Yeah, well, uh, Peter Peter Bogosian, uh, he's a professor of philosophy at Portland State University. James Lindsay is a PhD in mathematics, has a background in physics. Sorry, it's okay. Uh, he also used to be in academia, but now runs his own business and has three books out, I believe. And then the other, the third party um, who uh, I hadn't heard from was Helen Pluckrose. Uh, she's, uh, I think she's the manager of Aereo Magazine. Uh, so I don't know exactly what her background is. It's something I'd have to look into. But there's an article about it. It was fascinating what these three people did and uh, what they exposed. And the other correction, um, or I guess supplemental or supplementary information I wanted to put out was the uh, the, the discussion we got into about uh, German economics, um, like social market econo- economics. So the German economy we spoke of was referred to as the social market economy and was implemented by Alfred uh, Mueller-Armack and Ludwig Erhard after the Second World War in West Germany. Just to clarify... So it realized, and this is basically from the Wikipedia page, um, it realized the benefits of a free market economy 
especially economic performance and high supply of goods, while avoiding disadvantages such as market failure, destructive competition, concentration of economic power, and the socially harmful effects of market processes. The aim of social market economy uh, is to realize the greatest prosperity combined with the best possible social security. One difference from the free market economy is that the state is not passive, but takes active regulatory measures. So I don't know if they have, like, we, I don't know if we have something similar in Canada or, because we do have regulations on certain things, but it seems like we allow for monopolies um, to occur, especially like we got into it about uh, telecommunications companies. Yeah, we, well, that's, so telecommunications is not a monopoly, it's an oligopoly. An oligopoly. An oligopoly. Okay, so multiple different organizations. Few number of firms that control the market. Yeah, like a mafia. It's an oligopoly. <laughs> you ever heard of the term oligarch? It was a Russian term. Mm-hmm. A, yeah, that's that's a very similar term. Oligarchy? Yeah. Yeah. So it's very similar. Um, so in... Yeah, so we do regulate certain things because we we have to... As soon as you create a crown corporation, because the government stepped in and said we had a need for something, uh, the market market didn't. No one wanted to take this up because it was too risky, and um, so the the government will step in. So Canada Post be a good example. So there's no mail service. There's no market for a mail service because no one's really done it before. Um, how are we going to set this up? So we need a, a, a giant cash infusion to the crown. And then we're going to establish a distribution system called Canada Post. That's good. Just had a sip of your stuff. <laughs> That's some, uh, what, what, what's the alcohol content on that? It's got to be like in the 50s. Almost, what, 56 I said? That's a cast strength. Yep. That's a good one. Ooh. Sorry, continue. <laughs> <laughs> if it didn't burn, it's not worth your time. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, anyways, so that that's what happens. Um, so, do monopolies exist? Yes. Do these perform services there in the interest of the consumer? Yes. Um, are they? Do they? Everything work uh, uh, optimally in monopolies? No, because they're they're not designed to. Like, how would a monopoly benefit um, consumers? Well, if Canada Post didn't exist, and there was no such thing as a... The only thing was a courier system. If you're in a rural area, how are you going to get your bills? What, private organizations like FedEx and UPS well, can't do it? No, they don't do door-to-door. It's just too numerous. They don't have the infrastructure for it. They don't have the carriers. Right. Okay, so... But the government can do that. Government can set it up. it's partially subsidized by taxpayer dollars as well. To set up, yes. Okay. Yeah. But that's one example of, like, a very unique service, right? Well, no. Hydro companies would be another example. Okay. When they originally started up, they had to start off because... So what you're talking about, like, it works in... Okay, so monopolies work when it comes to things like essential services. Well, I want to stay away from the essential services because people say we can't live without it. But before these things came about, before they became essential services, they were deemed optional services. So medical care before was optional. Well, like, it certainly is optional in the U.S. of A. Yeah, but you're starting to get what I'm getting at. Kind of, so, yeah. So you didn't have to have 
before building codes were yeah. really a standard thing. Oh no, I you, get it. You would ha- you didn't have to have power hook up to your house. I still see universe like universe. I still see our healthcare system as optional. We just choose to do it. The problem I have is with you know some people who treat it as an entitlement. It's like no, that's a serious benefit that you that you get that comes out of your taxes. Now, the question that I always ask when it comes to universal healthcare, and I know I'm chasing the squirrel. Um, is uh, is when people are trying to argue against it. I don't know that health should be a commodity. Like I don't know if it should ever be treated as a commodity, like a you know, like a stamp or you know, steel or something like that. Like your your health is, you know, you can't you, you know you can't replace it. Well, I'm I'm getting into like the ethical arguments and all that kind of stuff. So we don't have to chase the squirrel if you don't want. <laughs> well, no, you, you can combine the two because there's only one health system, and your right. re- your service regions, your service region. There's a couple things at play. One, there's the College of Physicians who dictate the number of doctors. The College of Nurses that dictates the number of nurses. No different than the College of Teachers dictates the number of teachers that are out there. Um. But the hospitals are businesses. Don't don't let anyone fool you. They're not one hundred percent government. Oh, for sure, for They're, sure. It, you did, if it was one hundred percent government funded, you wouldn't have the 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 lotteries that look to raise money to renovate the, the, the institutions. But they're actually businesses, and they have a bottom line. The CEOs have bonuses. the The irony is that, and a lot of them, they're not healthcare administrators that or business people that run them. They're and some instances they're uh, nurses or physicians. So what's interesting is that when you look to maximize <clears throat> benefit for the consumer, which is the patient, versus what's better for the shareholders. So there's, yeah. there's, there's a pull here. And the third pull is what's best for the employees. So I've you, definitely caught an episode of Grey's Anatomy exploring this so, while my so, wife so, watches so, it. So, so, so you got this trifecta of misery where you're trying to balance everything together. Yeah. Um, but then you say, well, is a doctor worth it? The problem we have here in Canada is Big Brother to the South offers a considerable amount of money to yeah. doctors to go down and work. And they'll honor their qualifications at face value. So if we don't pay them the, the big wages that the private sector, the U.S. has, we are going to lose those doctors. That's true, too. So we got, we got to look at the balance of, and the mix. Well, like the, the way that a private system works out is it ends up benefiting you know the higher end uh the people who can afford the, the the care it really ends up benefiting the you know the higher what do you call it those who have more money basically, <coughs> without for you know for lack of a better word um whereas our system kind of benefits the those who you know don't make as much money that kind of thing it benefits um it benefits all the people within the lower class and middle class and, I, and that I think kind of stuff I think you're in some ways you're general over generalizing. I am, I am to an extent, so but I mean, but there's a when you look at it, like if you take a f- look at it, if you tried to look at the pros and cons of both, right? Mm-hmm. You're gonna get excellent expert care from those very well paid doctors if you were to go down in into the U.S. Um, for some of those more extreme procedures, and you'll get that care immediately, so long as you provide the coin. Yeah, it's, um, it's in the whereas, form of indentured servitude, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so those, those, that's the piece that I'm, I'm really cautioned, I'm very uh, ca- uh, cautioned. Like, okay, well, 
they are businesses. There's a balance. You can say the people that provide it because they want to provide it or will provide a better service because of it. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Um, but really, the quality of life in Canada is pretty high. So maybe that's better. I don't know what the answer is to this. But um, it's another monopoly. Yeah. So, But the, the interesting part of monopoly, since we're going into it, um, hmm. uh, it'll be a cold day in hell. <laughs> we got to get back to that. But monopolies... I, I wrote a few down. <laughs> um, monopolies don't look to satisfy all the needs. They're not designed to. They will. If you look at the supply-demand curve of monopoly, they will only look to satisfy their marginal costs, Yeah. not satisfy demand. Yeah, they only care about... Uh, well, and they care... They care more about control over the yeah. over the market. No, that's, that's, that's no. They're not monopoly. They don't give a shit. They don't the give market. a shit. They control the market. Okay, so by what definition, hap- a monopoly is the market. Yes, I know. But if you are a business and you have a monopoly over a certain sector, whatever you want to call it, you'll do everything in your power to maintain control over that. So if anybody else that comes up that you know offers valid competition against you. You're gonna to look to you know subdue or, yeah, before, or dismiss before, that competition. Yeah, but they yes want no. that. No, I, you know what? There's a lot of hype in that. In that, uh, the Paris competition law, some has not hasn't been proven in court. They've done people do dirty things, and that's that's fair. But if you look at the rise of Sears and how Sears burst onto the market for and lasted a hundred years, then and then had the same crap happen to them that allowed them to burst on the market. So, but I want to go back. So. The key piece of information you need to understand here is the supply and demand curve. Uh, since they're only looking to cover the marginal costs, they don't satisfy demand. But the second piece to that is they're not looking to. And the reason why they're not looking to because there's no incentive for them to, to be more productive. There's no, there's no incentive to, to do better because once your costs are covered, that's it. Oh, okay, so... What you're you're kind of what I'm kind of deriving from what you're saying is, um, if competition comes in, um, well, the there's comp- incentive for the- for companies to um, to innovate to create new stuff in order to you know benefit consumers to regain that monopoly. That's that might be one tactic. Like no 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 leave leave competition out of it. But if it's a if as soon as there's competition, monopoly disappears. As soon as Okay, as soon as, no longer, if, as soon as competition exists, it's by definition not a monopoly. Anymore. Yeah, but that, but I'm still getting to my point. There is whoever controls that monopoly; they want to do everything in their power to maintain that monopoly, right? They they they're not. They're not. They won't. So they only look to cover. You're the really costs. confusing me with no, this. because <laughs> you have this thing where uh, in, where monopolies will try and force out other competition. Um, they don't. Typically, they're not going to, because they're not they're not they're not pioneering, they're not low cost leaders, okay? They're not any of those other business practices that that would look to do that, okay? Okay, so monopoly doesn't need to, it just needs to exist. You have no choice but to buy it from the power company that's in, that's attached to your house. You've got no other option. Hmm. So, do you think these power companies are looking to give you the better service? No. The only way you could actually get that to happen in monopolies. Is would you carbon tax them? So you're just saying you you basically tax their existing processes. Just by virtue of just the sudden arrival of any competition, the monopoly ends. By definition, yeah. 
Okay. Because as soon as there's what's going to be a, a correction that happens. So Monopoly has to make two choices. Either you become Sears or you become Amazon. So you become Sears and you basically just die out. So Sears started as a catalog business. Eaton's was on the market. There was a whole bunch, a whole bunch of other um, other major brick-and-mortar stores. But the, a lot of these brick-and-mortar stores were underserving their... Um, they're underserving the community. Okay, it's a small. Sorry, dude. What is that? My sump pump. It's raining so hard. Oh. It's, it's... <coughs> That's okay. That's the whole point of being in a basement doing a podcast. It's like Opie and Anthony doing uh, what was it the the underground compound or something <laughs> like that live from the compound. <laughs> Wait till the toilet start flushing. Yeah. <coughs> um. Anyways, so. So Sears burst on the market. What they were doing is that they would set up small stores and provide catalogs. Whatever you want, we can order in. Here's our catalog. And then they created a distribution system. They evolved. They, they burst on the scene. They were basically an overnight success. And the, uh, they were able to build the brick and mortar stores. Right. <clears throat> they had a really good process. The malls were really big in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Started down in the 90s. 2000s, they created a website. Most people didn't like it. Limited functionality. They couldn't price, update. Prices weren't as prices were higher. They weren't low cost leaders. Yeah, they were a they were um, a large distribution center that gave people access to a lot of different things. So their their delivery catalog was too high. Their production system was too slow, and they couldn't meet the demand that Amazon brought to the table. And Amazon brought something completely different, which was... Choice, which Sears also tried to do. Well, you alluded to it in the last episode, uh, or in part one. You said it's like, now online delivery and online shopping is the norm to the extent that they've created offline shopping. Like They don't just call it shopping anymore. It's like, that's mm-hmm. it's crazy. It's absurd, but it's, it's a cold day in hell. <laughs> <laughs> But so so what's happening now? So if we took take that whole thing to um, the sense of monopolies, is if you if another competitor comes on the market, the the monopoly has really a couple choices. Okay, it needs to gear down, scale, sell off things that don't make money, restructure, and become more agile. Okay, we see it saw that with IBM when it sold off Lenovo. Sort of focusing on the money makers. What did IBM do? Because we've talked about this before. Like for some reason, I thought it, I got it into my head that they got out of the hardware game and they got into making software, but they still make hardware. Mm-hmm. Okay, for uh, maybe I'm confusing it with another company. Yeah, but you're talking about corporate class things that are in the back end. Okay. Okay. So, multi-million, multi-billion-dollar projects. Mm. And it's not something you're going to see every day. So you're not, you know. We, I don't even walk in those circles, so... No? No. Um, but uh, anyway, so, the, so, so a monopoly has to do something, okay? Because a monopoly, its traditional approach was to do nothing. And um, like we, I talk about neoclassical growth theory often and often. <coughs> so neoclassical growth theory, theory states if you have fixed uh, resources and fixed uh, budget... The only way you can improve production is to innovate. But monopolies were never incentive 
and it never incentivized innovation because they could always charge what they charge. There's no real competition. So if they don't innovate, they die. And if you don't catch this early enough, the trend early enough, monopolies are traditionally very slow. And because <clears throat> I really think that's going along with my whole yeah, they're slow talk to... about how structures become too rigid and yeah, no, so dogmatic. But, but some of them may succeed. Like IBM's still making money. Okay. So if they take the time and they're smart and they restructure, they will succeed. If they don't, they're going to die. And everything goes with it. Pension funds. They're, they're... Yeah. So they are bankruptcy. All your employees are all screwed and everything. So it's huge. It's a significant process. So would you say that GM is going through a process like that right now? Like they're looking to restructure? Or? Well, they're, what, I, what I see happening is that the market in uh, Canada is being saturated. They're trying to shift labor costs to different pools. They're trying to take advantage of probably tax, tax and uh, avoid tax and tariffs. Because right. we're a really small market compared to the U.S. Yeah. Um, but they're also expanding into Asia. Like Ford, is, Ford and GM are rapidly expanding into, into the, the middle class and in places like India and China. Um, yeah, so we're small in Canada. We're small potatoes. And that's just how it is. If we didn't have, like, when we had the big, what, the big three? Ford, uh, we had Ford, GM, and Chrysler. Yeah. So once we just had those three, um, but now we got Hyundai, Subaru, uh, Volkswagen, like the market is is pretty saturated. Well, just the Asian market alone is, yeah. it, it almost seems like it's dominating. Is it worth their while to have a plant here? I don't know. But really, as a consumer, um, I would let the, regula- the, the regulatory people look after the bigger pictures of things. Just b- as a consumer, buy what you feel comfortable doing. Vote with your wallet. Yeah. So if you believe in a GM product is better for you, well, go, go buy a GM product. But keep in mind, you need to look at the reviews. Make sure it's a good product before you buy because you don't want to be artificially propping up something that can't survive. Well, not just that. So like, don't, a, don't not buy something just because, you you know, the politics involved uh, and behind the scenes as well. Yeah. So right? It's, yeah. Like, my, it's actually uh, it's interesting we brought it up too. And it's almost like a slight continuation from our union talk there. But uh, I spoke with my father-in-law about this because he worked at GM for like 36 years and he's retired now. And uh, and he, he got on a little bit of a rant, but it was it was great. He, he, he It was very kind of inspiring to hear hear him talk about it. It's like when he was talking about uh, people's like, oh, I'm never buying a GM car again. And I'm never going to, you know, I'm never going to support GM ever because they're getting rid of the jobs in Oshawa. He's like, Who, so what? You know, like that's... You're you're saying that from your you know iPhone that was made by what people in India and you're while you're driving your Hyundai, like it doesn't that doesn't matter. It's like he he the way he said it was like GM treated me very well. Um, they provided me with a pension. They provided me with thirty six good years of excellent pay, and that's that's what I got out of it. And that and I put in my time, and that's that's. You know, that was part of the contract. He doesn't look at it as like, I'm going to be all political now just because of what's happening now. It's like, that's just business as usual. That's how things go. It sucks for those who are currently employed there, but it is that it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So I think what it's important to bring up <clears throat> is that when you start getting governments to bail out these organizations that are failing, we have to be careful. Okay. 
in order for them to be responsible investments on behalf of taxpayers, they need to restructure so they are lean, they can look at turning a profit in the future. Yeah, but that doesn't seem to be what has happened. Well, I'm not sure in the aftermath what has happened with uh, most of the banks um, in America after the 2008 uh, collapse. We were pretty well protected in Canada because we already had policies and regulations in place that protected mm-hmm. uh, Canadian banks based on like mortgage interest, loan rates, and all that kind of stuff. I think and that we was have mortgage part of insurance, it. yeah, yeah, mortgage insurance and all that kind of stuff. So we were pretty well protected. We didn't get hit as hard. But with the Americans, I mean, guys lost their, like, families lost their pensions. They lost everything. Like, everything was taken away from them. Yeah, but let's let's go back, like, because uh, they bailed out the big three. Yes. And th- from what I heard, the loan was paid back, and that's, I guess, good for the taxpayer. Okay. <clears throat> um, did they continue to make jo- uh, cars here? Yes. But when we prop up things that are already falling, sometimes you need to rebuild the foundation. They need to restructure. That's why we have the word. So sometimes restructure. you just need to let them fail. Sometimes you gotta let it fail, and then. Yeah, just... But that's not what they did during the collapse. Well, they recognize that. So sometimes the wall, you, you prop it up because of cascading possible cascading effect. What do you mean by that? I think I so, know where you're going with this. Well, but... we we talked about earlier how Oshawa, after the the. 2008 they they started going as a city going after business trying to attract more people to come in and um and invest in so they weren't so dependent on the auto industry because i mean their employment rates really low right now their unemployment rate is really low i should say yeah they started putting all kinds of money into their infrastructure and everything yeah so so now even if gm wanted to expand they couldn't because there's nobody they're looking for jobs um what i want to say is is that their payback in full, and we talk about cascading. So, <clears throat> let's say Oshawa was not ready to absorb that loss. So, if majority of people were part of GM, Ford, and Chrysler, one went down, they would cascade. The next one would go down, and all the businesses in Oshawa would go down too because their major, all the major employers shut down. Okay. And in the suburb of Toronto, that'd be very catastrophic. It'd be years to rebuild it. It wouldn't be a strategic drawdown, which is happening right now. It'd be a, a, a final cutoff, right? Hmm. Okay, so yeah, we, we talk about bailing them out. So it's not always a good idea to bail out things, but unless it's going to create a cascading effect, which would dissolve economy. So the government has to step in to stop these larger financial problems going on. Um, switching gears and getting back on the title of our episode here. It's a cold day in hell. When flat earthers are a thing. <laughs> I want to punch you in your the eyes, face. Your eyes just did like a triple barrel roll in the back of your head. <laughs> uh, you got something to say about that? Yeah, you see my rubber pencil? <laughs> it's rubber. It's really rubber. <laughs> looks like rubber, right? Can you do that where you like whistle and hum at the same time? No, but I can do it and give you the finger. <laughs> I figured we're getting a little dry there. We could bring some <laughs> some zap, some pizzazz. <laughs> okay. I'm all for research, but don't fund this research. <laughs> yeah, we proved this a long time ago. If the, if the pictures aren't there from the astronauts. Yeah, but dude, dude, you don't even know if they went to the moon, bro. But you know what? <laughs> if you blow a bubble, it's round. 
Holy Christ. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Like, here's the thing about the Flat Earth movement that I, from what I understand, <coughs> it started out, it started out as a goof. Like, it started out as somebody pulling a prank. And then, like all things on the internet, it just ended up exploding into this, the the crazies came out of the woodwork, basically. And it's like the anti-vaxxer movement, that kind of stuff. It start, Well, that started out with some sincerity, but was quickly debunked. Well, here's an, here's here's an adage you might find amusing: trying to get academics to agree on a single thing, like ordering pizza, impossible. You get a bunch of stupid people; they can convince the world it's flat. I don't have. Pro- I don't think anybody really has problems in groups when they're talking about ordering pizza. Oh yes, they do. <laughs> get academics together. Yeah. Well. So, anyways, flat earthers. So they launched a rocket to prove a homemade rocket, <clears throat> so you can look out the window and say. That um, that the Earth is flat. Yeah, but how high did he go? Yeah, the problem, like it's just, it's just like what we talked about with uh, anti-vaxxers. The problem, like I don't have a problem with believing in nonsense. Like just go in your corner and put on your little fucking tinfoil hat and believe in nonsense. Just leave the rest of us out of it. The problem is, is when people who have a platform who believe in this shit. And then they influence other younger generations, like no, but, what, like like Gwyneth Paltrow, like this. Yeah, shit. how does he? Bec- how does a limo? I think he was a limo driver. How does a limo driver become an expert on all things that are rockets? Yeah, and the physics that describes how his rocket goes in the air are th- that he looked up and built on YouTube are built on the same principles that justify the fucking physics. There's there's that nothing says the world is round. There's nothing. Ish. It's a round. It's not perfectly round. Yeah, it's round-ish. There's nothing more dangerous to the fabric that binds us as human beings than a stupid, confident person. <laughs> yep. I don't want to bring up Trump. Not going to bring up Trump. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I like it. It's good. Um, but I mean, okay. On the other end. Okay, so you've got uh, no. It's so not so much. But on here, the other here's my thing: is like, how do you? It's like for all those who believe in flat earthers, and I doubt you'd listen to our podcast if you were. But if you you are the just, sixty people that perhaps might listen to our podcast, I'm pretty sure none of them are. We're flat at like sixty eight. Um, yeah, we're at seventy followers we? oh, on Facebook. We have like a few extra a day now. It's good. I told you, Christmas holidays. Christmas holidays. <clears throat> no one else got anything better to do but to listen to us. Yeah. Scary thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> just don't listen to the flat earthers. Flat Whatever earth. you do, just don't listen to them. Yeah. But, but hear me out. If you were a limo driver and you're trying to prove something that's revolutionary, do you think you're the best guy to do it when there's the rest of the people that spent their entire life studying the phenomenon? Think about it. Technically, Michael Faraday was working in a where was he working? Like a glass factory or something like that in the, someone's basement? I can't remember what Faraday's life, but I mean... Um, but he had a mind for that kind of shit. Uh, one of the work in the, I can't what, remember what's who, Faraday responsible for again? Faraday's law? Yeah. Currents? Okay, that explained everything. <laughs> Faraday's s- law, okay. S- stuff of movement electrons <laughs> and electromagnetic fields. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. You can build a Faraday cage? Okay, this is your choice today. Yep. So we're switching uh, switching it up here. I brought a Canadian whiskey this time. Okay. This is uh, Gooderham and Wurtz. Excellent Canadian whiskey. Uh, distillery based out of Toronto. Um, I think they've been bought up by J.P. Weiser. So 
there's an example of a of a successful independent Canadian business that made good product and you got to get good son so you got to get your shit bought up by the big boys. Well, you know what? It's it's like cheese. If you if you buy a good cheese, you don't need so much and you don't get so fat. If you buy good cheese, you won't eat so much and you won't get so fat. But if you buy good stuff, you drink very little because it tastes so good. And you want to preserve it because it's rare. That's exactly. And you yeah. appreciate it more. Cheers. Cheers. That's 17 years old whiskey and it's under $100. Not bad. Pretty good. It doesn't burn as much. No. Because <laughs> it's super, super smooth. And it's got 20% less alcohol. Yes. It also has that. <laughs> I think it's like what forty five something. Forty five, yeah. Can you standard? That's the that's the that's the sweet spot. You want like forty five to forty seven percent alcohol. You don't want to like it's forty percent alcohol is fine. That's like your baseline. But uh, for <coughs> for it to be whiskey, I I don't know if the go many go lower than that for them to be called whiskeys. You can do whatever you want, whatever flavor you want. It has to be aged at least three years or something like that in Scotland. It has to be aged at least three years. It has to come out of Scotland, um, so it has to be distilled in Scotland for it to be called Scotch. Mm-hmm. Anyway, no, oh, it's like port. Yeah, it's a Porto, Portugal. Yeah. I got another one for you. What's that? It's a cold day in hell. Oh, good. If an academic can hold a captive audience of five thousand people doing a talk for two hours, as if it's like some kind of rock concert. That's pretty crazy. Um, that seems it, it's called exams at Queens. <laughs> yeah, that's that. But that you don't uh, you don't have to pay uh, you know a fifty thousand dollars student loan to get that. <laughs> no, actually, we do it all the time. I mean, if you look at some of the best prime ministers, some of them were professors of uh, taught law. I don't have any names right off the top of my head, but Jean, Jean Chrétien came close. Yeah. Um, <laughs> John Christian is a very <coughs> impressive man. When you look at the look, just look at the guy himself for what what he did. I always like that uh, Robin Williams joke. Uh, he said, I don't need no secret service. Somebody come up to me, I knock him out. Look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, well, the thing is, I'm I'm from Manitoba, so at the same time Christian was around, we also had Gary Philman. He was austerity measures in Manitoba. Yeah. So no one liked politics because every time we looked at the the screen, it's like, okay, all our services are cut on Fridays. And we nicknamed them Filming Fridays. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, man. But maybe we should talk about all the cuts to education. We'll call them uh, Ford, uh, Ford Dealings. I don't know. Ford Dealings. Oh, yeah. Or the Ford Budget. Yeah. I don't know. Cuts without consultation, but anyways, it's but so I guess to you're the one chasing squirrels this time, but don't you think that's weird that like an academic like uh, a Sam Harris or uh, a Jordan Peterson can hold hold a captive audience for like of like thousands of people um, for you know hours on end and like people show up to these things and they're all dressed up and it's it's almost like it's a rock concert. It's crazy, but. Yeah, but you're used to the mainstream media. Like back in the day, that's not that you know, mainstream. Back in the day, that was the entertainment. That's why everybody was an entomologist and did something really cool. 
Okay, <coughs> how back in the day are we talking here? Are we talking about yeah, hundred years ago? We're talking about when we're in old time at times when off. we had to go and sell snake oil to they. They would give you your come for your your elixir of life. It's secretly cocaine. No snake oil in the street. The rest, of the, but you know when when you unveil the museum, something the thing with the oddities. Like before, now we just flick on YouTube, or we saw a little picture in a book that wasn't very good resolution. Um, because encyclopedias in the eighties were super expensive, um, so the odds of you seeing it, uh, something that was that cool, was either at school because the school paid for it, or you went to the museum to see it, and you you wanted to be the first guy to talk to about it at work, so you went to see the unveiling. Um, yeah, I remember going to museums when I was a kid. Parents taking me to that stuff. They still exist, you know. I know. <laughs> it's called your mom's basement. Hi, yo. <laughs> Uh, Uh. (laughs) the next comments aren't nice (laughs) um anyways but if you if you if you go back and you say okay is it possible i I just think of like bill nye the science guy came out of retirement because of stupidity the only the only person because of stupidity because of his own stupidity or because of the stupidity of others he couldn't take it anymore if you think of Wheel Weird Al Yankovic started doing music again because there's just so much material. Yeah, but the thing about no, Bill no, Nye, I'm not done yet. Well, Bill Nye stuck with the generation that he was originally working towards, right? The only person so that generation grew up, they all became the working the part of the workforce, and now now he's he's pandering to that generation. Yeah, but that's okay. But the the only other people that I could say that the only other person I want to come back is Rick Mercer. Oh yeah, I'd love to see him come back. Oh, I'd love to see whatever he has to say about all this shit that's going on. He probably just went in retirement just out of fear. It's like, I, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. So I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this or not. but And I didn't know exactly how to word it. Because I I started it off with um, very simple wording. But I don't know if it'll, if it'll get us in trouble. But um, it's a cold day in hell. Okay. When... Ultra progressive agendas or ultra ideological agendas, and a lot of people associate this especially on the left when their agendas backfire. So, we already kind of alluded to it a little bit. <coughs> it seems to be a trend. Um, we talked about it in the in the previous episode Pat Brown versus the Liberal Party. They had an agenda to get him because he was, well, I don't know if this is actually true or not. It seems like it. It was a. It seems like a plausible method to try and dispense with your opponent. So, um, they tried to get him out of the Conservative Party because he was. He looked like a legitimate threat against the Liberal upcoming election. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was the complete reverse of exactly what they thought would happen. They thought, you know, oh, the only option they'll have is Doug Ford. He'll get put in power. And look what, lo and behold, he not only did he win, he got a, he got a majority. Same thing, uh, Bernie Sanders versus the Democrats. Democratic Party um, basically pushed him off the side in order to favor Hillary Clinton, thinking that you know we're gonna have we're gonna have the first female president for the sake of having a, a female president. And lo and behold, they decided to hire the American people decided to hire on a sexist 
bigot, <laughs> like um, seventy year old, seventy year old, eight or eighty? Is he eighty? Is he in his eighties? Seventies. Okay, in his seventies, they decided to hire this like, like the complete opposite. Um, I don't know if Macron and uh, Macron and the yellow vest is much of a comparison, but I mean, he was an elected uh, uh, progressive in France, and all of a sudden, there's this backlash with the uh, with the working. I guess it's the working class, and now that's been hijacked by. Um, by people who just like rioting and protesting for its own sake, just to create violence and create noise. I don't. I don't. I don't think this. So <clears throat> I don't know about I, that last I, I, one. I think. I think this is a generational thing. Really, I, I'm saying that. You know, if, you know why study history because it repeats itself. I would say, no different than the pamphlet wars I talked about before, and. I actually was arguing this around when the Pirate Spade was coming big and there was a free access to technology. It was much easier to get the word out there. The appetite was there for people to consume this type of media. <clears throat> and in terms of protests, um, we had uh, Vietnam War. We had the peace protests, anti-war movement, the free love movement. Yeah, Abby um, Froman and all those. Go- Is it Froman? Yeah. So then we go back to, you know, uh, the Cold War eras, we got, you know, the, oh, there's other protests going on, I forgot the names. Um, but the, the point is, there was more, it's, it's a generational thing. Now we're having this cycle. Um, and really, to me, um, I'm no expert in social development at all. But as a spectator in this world, it's um, it's just another cycle where... The gener- the zennials and are getting their feet wet. The zennials, like the centennials. The centennials, Generation Z, whatever you want to call them they today. Call, I don't even know. They've got anymore. like three different names. Do you got? You guys have to decide your name. Uh, it's not for me, but the point is, is if you're going to do something, do it well and do constructively, because you'll be remembered for it. Yeah. Okay. We, the Generation X's were, were poised to take over the dominant as the dominant laborer in the workforce like by, a 20, lot of those by 2020. The, 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 for you guys, because most of us are now family people or, or we're going to have children in our teens, yeah. um, you're the one with the time to do it. You're the ones with the time and energy to do it and in many respects, the least amount to lose and the most to gain. And honestly, I, if I would have a recommendation... Don't go and join a fucking cult or any organizations. Yeah, you got to go and be part of a group as a young person so that you like you have to surrender some of your identity. But out of that group that you join, whatever it is you do, you got to establish some kind of independent identity for yourself. Yeah. And the, the best bar- uh, barometer for that is where are you seeing this in five years? I'm just saying Antifa is not the answer. <laughs> You go around punching people and instilling Nazis and wearing a cloth on your face. I'm sorry. You're just a thug and a coward. That's all you are. Um, yeah, so violent, you know, violence has its roles. Uh, political agencies use it for different things. That's how war is fighting. I mean, militaries are the action arm of political will. What, what I would say is, is where are you going to be in five years? If you have a criminal record, you just affect the way your kids are going to eat. Yep. Okay? It's going to take you another decade to live beyond that. 
you need to rise above petty differences because if you let them define you, it is not, it's not what caused it. It was the end result that the headline says. No one says, so-and-so murdered someone because they stole my, my, uh, my girlfriend. It only says, you are a murderer. Or so-and-so stand accused of murder. Because that's, at the end result, you screw up one time, that's what it becomes. Yeah. Okay? And, like, you screw up. It's, it's one thing to make a mistake and, you know, it's just something in your past and you're the only one who, you know, is really scorned by it and it's something that might linger on in your brain. But if it's on a record, man, if it's written down, you are... And, and the, the best the path that, to redemption is long and hard. And having worked with a lot of younger people, I want to learn by this one joke. You can build 5,000 houses. You can feed the hungry, but you fuck one sheep, you're a sheep fucker. You're a sheep fucker. <laughs> so keep that in mind. That's good. <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> when hell freezes over. <laughs> when hell freezes over. I like it. Do you want to talk any about anything else? Is there anything else you wanted to bring up? Do you want to talk about me first? <laughs> me first? The me first people? Or do you want to talk about... I've never heard of this. Uh, how about we talk about... Since we're talking about things that are constructive, I want to maybe go on my little tangent of the day. Ooh. Um, and I want to talk about simple things that we have lost. Okay? Um, let's talk about, let's say, making soap. Now people are like, oh, it's so girly. You're only saying this because you actually make soap. Well, I want, like, <laughs> I, I come from a very long line of traditionalists. And um, one day I said, well, this substance, um, I know my grandparents used to make it. Well, how hard could it be? Well, it turns out it is shit simple. Okay. Um, and it's really no different than making pudding. I would say is it actually has fewer ingredients than making pudding. Um, but we pay people to do it. Brad Pitt once told me you had to use human body fat to make it. So they went and raided liposuction clinics. <laughs> no, all my grandparents did not kill people. <laughs> and there, where they were, there was not a lot of fat people around. So, but, so my, my, my point is, is that learn why we do things and learn where things come from. Because it's overly complicated. <clears throat> Chances are it's not worth it. So... Yeah, learn how to make soap. It's like three ingredients. Water, uh, sodium hydroxide, which is, comes out of wood ashes, if you didn't know. Um, and a bit of oil and some fat. So if, if, you don't, if you're vegetarian, coconut oil makes a really good bar of soap. Here's Okay, I'm going to take your thought and I'm going to expand it a little bit and go even broader. Oh. I would say um, don't be so disposable. Look around you and see what you can reuse and... And what you can turn into something. I think I think there's a trend. It's kind of trendy that's going on right now. Like it's a bit of a trend that's going on right now of uh, like pallet wood. That's a big thing. People are like taking old pallet wood and they're like making furniture and shelving units and oh, all man. kinds of stuff. It's cool. It's music to my ears. That's cool. Because Canadian innovation spawned from understanding the world around you. Yeah. And thank you for pushing me back into that realm. But... <laughs> but unless you you start playing with things, play with things that scare you a little bit. Don't put your hands in saw blades, but play with things that scare you just a little bit. 
Oh, that might be a little too hard. Abstractly scare you. <laughs> but watch a bunch of dumb people do it correctly on YouTube, and then do, watch a couple of dumb people do it really badly on YouTube. Decide the risk level, your risk tolerance for risk, and yeah. then go ahead. But And understand, you're going to suck very hard at this at first. I have a rule. Have you listened to our first episode? <laughs> I, I have a rule, okay? And um, much to my wife's disappointment. So I expect any new thing I try to fail three times before I get it right. Why? First of all, no one taught me anything. Two, there's no one coaching me. Three, well, I learned from the first two times. <laughs> and the fourth, I perfect the recipe. Okay. <clears throat> so don't don't be afraid. If, if you're enjoying whiskey, learn how to make this. I would like to learn how to make whiskey at some point. You've already got me making wine. My still's over there. Yeah, I know. You've already got me making wine. I'm making uh, white wine back at home. But the point is, is, uh, in my example, the pressure cooker's a perfect, or the my still's a perfect thing. I, I, I got an auction, shit you not, a pressure cooker for a buck. I added a $15 coil, and that's my still. Yeah, you're kind of a unique person in that regard. Like, you do all... You, well, you're an, you have an engineering degree, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, like, you know, I think you you're by nature you are a very like things oriented person. Like you you like tinkering, and you like you like touching stuff, and you like figuring out how things work, and then you like taking them apart and putting them back together. But and, we can do the but thing. But not everybody's like that. Yeah. Like I'm not like that. I'm only doing this because. You, I, for some reason, I'm like your guinea pig of late for the last three months, and and we're just gonna try new shit. Hey, we should start a podcast. Yeah, I'll go buy the equipment. Let's still go do it. What? Wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> but then I end up doing shit like you, making you, wine and all. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm more of a people person, which allows me to yeah, have long winded discussions. If like you're this. losing three one, you don't pack up and go home, and that's the, fail three times. What? That's my my role. You fail three <clears> times, <throat> the fourth time I'm going to start to win. But when I start to win, I create a pattern of winning. And eventually, it's not going to be three one, four one, five one. I'm actually going to be. I'm going to catch up, and I'm going to tie it up. I'm going to pass it. I'm going to perfect what I do, because I practice. Canadian innovation should be like that. You know what? There, like there's there's so much room for growth. There's I mean, your kids go to bed at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night. You know, there's only so much Netflix you can do. But at the end of the day, I want, you to take, I, want you, I want you to list off the things that you accomplished. They better not be chores. Good chores are an accomplishment. Those are needs for life. What did you accomplish? That's a very good point. Okay? People get stressed. Well, I did all this work at home. Hey, you know what? I'm you never, too busy. You never, I can't you do never, that. You never took stock of how many times you wiped your ass, but you're okay with that. The rest of it's no different. If you think your world life is too overwhelming, then move into a smaller apartment because you got too much stuff. Then fill the rest of your life with things that have meaning. Because if there, everything else stresses you out, your life has no meaning. Does, could that include your job? Yeah. Do what makes you happy. And if your things aren't making you happy, make a plan to do something that makes you happy. Because That's true. But we're not telling you. Go out and quit your job immediately. No, I said, make a plan. <laughs> go get it. No, but here's the thing. There's actually, I've heard some very good advice on this point, and I'll even supplement what you're saying about all this. Um, it's actually harder to look for a new job while maintaining your current job um, than to just uproot and 
quit your job and uh, and and go ahead and 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 try and find a new one. But the thing is, it's <laughs> yeah. a more courageous act to do so because <laughs> you might be drowning. Yeah, <laughs> the threat of drowning is that's right. A, is you always could a you could hate your boss, or you could uh, you know you could not be enjoying any benefits from your workplace. You're not getting any meaningful connections with the people you work with. Maybe it's a toxic environment for you. Who knows? But the bottom line is, is like you have to keep at it because you got to pay the bills. You got to make sure that your your standard of life is taken care of. Mm. In the meantime, look for something else. Yeah, and train, build a resume. It's funny, and oh yeah, and become indispensable, and like fuck, just do what you can to uh, to increase your skills. And here's here's the thing. So it, it it's almost like a Sun Tzu type of thing. Yeah. Okay. Pick your 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 time, and you pick your space, and you pick your battles. Now, if you take the time to retrain on your own time, you look for the economy, you look for the job, you transition. Okay. You pick your battles. If you're in your eighties and you're saying, "Well, should I keep it in my house?" Well, do you want to decide where you live? Or do you want someone else to decide it for you? You pick the time, you pick the place, you pick the battle. If you just, if you want, you know, same thing with children's planning. You pick the time, you pick the space, and you have a good time. But the the main thing is, is that do something. Yeah, you have the power. It is, doesn't take a genius to invent the toothpick. It didn't take a genius to figure out the uh, the pine tree. Uh, air freshener it didn't take a genius for a lot of things the point is that try make four inventions don't do the don't settle on the first one and say i failed well okay not everybody's a creative type i'll I'll play a little bit of i'll play a little bit of devil's advocate here um i know you're being very inspirational and i like it it's good i'm feeling very inspired but i'm also i want to play i want to play the devil's advocate card here real quick you want me the wet blanket? And it's only because, well, yeah, I'll be the wet blanket, sure. It's only because not everybody's a creative type. So <coughs> when you talk about innovation, yeah, but no, 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 I want to don't stop you don't limit yourself to like creating like uh, creating a new thing. No, 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 like something that works for you, and like start small. Like if, honestly, the if you if you you're looking you're looking up uphill at a mountain. You know, you don't just look at the top and say, I'm going to be there. Like, you, you have to, you, you kind of have to, like, start start with, you know, the small shit. Washing dishes and cleaning up your room and taking care of your house and all that kind of stuff. You just start with the small shit before you can start moving on to bigger, bigger projects. So I, I think the main thing is is that I used to foster kids and I used to do all different kinds of things. Um People would always write off people that were intellectually disabled. Um, I think the trick is a question. If you have a question, the rest of it will come. You nurture the questions. So just try and find answers to your questions. Why don't we have an invention that does blah? Because that question is amazing. So once you have that question, what would I need to make blah? Okay, and we'll call blah widget A. So this widget A is going to solve a problem. What is it? What do you think it's going to be made of? Metal, plastic, that becomes a finite answer. 
it's going to be mechanical, origin electromechanical. Then that has a whole other uh, questions. But is it going to be like a passive tool like a wrench? Um, I can pull out lots of examples of really interesting wrenches. It came about because someone said, I had a need for, look at the monkey wrench for God's sakes. How bizarre that one is. Um, or tamper-proof screws. Wouldn't it be cool if no one could unscrew this thing unless they had a special tool? Well, think about it. Wouldn't it be cool if I had a light that didn't draw so much power and create so much heat? Hmm. What if I didn't need vacuum tubes and we created the transistor? What if? And you know what? God bless Canada and cannabis, because I think that's going to help us out a lot. <laughs> On this philosophical front. But, and then write it down. If you have a question, write it down, and then ask yourself, what would this take? And you know what? If you're not sure, email me and I'll personally answer all of them. Okay? Because I want to nurture Canadian innovation in any shape or form possible. Um, Is that a call out to any That's a call, a call. Listen, you want... Ooh. Listen, but don't ask me medical questions because you're not going to like my answer. It'll probably put rub alcohol on it. <laughs> but medical stuff, Throw, don't ask Rub me. some Robitussin <laughs> on <laughs> it. Robitussin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's old Chris Rock Athletes joke. put cream in uh, Robitussin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, don't don't ask me those questions. But if you want to know what it'll take, or at least help me ask me to point you in the right direction, there's a lot of resources out there. You know, it's almost like the Marge Simpson in, invention, or F is for family, if you watch that show. No, the, I don't, but you keep Sal's, telling me about it. The Sal's Spinner. Don't uh, watch it thinking it's Family Guy. That's the only advice I would give. It's not Family Guy. It's not The Simpsons. It's its own thing. It's 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 different. Frank is as cynical as I am in real life. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Anyway, so we'll wrap it up here. Yeah. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. It's a cold day in hell when? It's a cold day in hell when what? When a lot of things happen. Um, but we, well, we, we'll cover some interesting topics. We talked about um, we talked about different monopolies and how they work. Um, it's closely tied to bureaucracies. Monopolies are often bureaucracies. Um, we talked about uh, how, and really jumping to the end. Is, so we talked about stupid people and stupid things. Don't do stupid people things. Don't do stupid people things. <laughs> <laughs> and... In real in realities, as as we go in our, our we rocks and I, we always look at our view is trying to educate and inspire you to do become more than you are, and give you the maybe the perspective that will help you get there. Um, so I think in life it always starts with the question, why, or what if there was a, and then go from there. Bravo. Well done. I am so inspired. I feel so patronized. <laughs> uh, and on that note, that was a good one. All right. Let's, uh, let's conclude this bitch. I've been Rox. And I'm Whiskey. Thanks, everybody. Uh, have a good weekend. And uh, just a quick notice while we're on the, uh, on the subject of uh, the holiday season. So... Um, as you know, there's legisl- legislation. I don't know if it was legislation, but uh, police can use breathalyzer without any cause. So obviously, if you're gonna drink, drink responsibly and don't drive. 
So take care of each other. Stay safe during this holiday season. And uh, have, a, have a happy Christmas. And we'll see you uh, probably in the new year. Hey, everybody. Rocks here. I just want to take another moment of your time and shamelessly ask that you like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your weekly dose of whiskey and rocks. We're currently on iTunes. We're now officially on the Google Play Store. Uh, we're on Stitcher and YouTube, and we're continuously looking for more ways to expand. As well, you can help us out even more if you write us a review on Facebook, tell all your friends, and even get involved in the conversation. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for more 320 Club. Thank you.